topic that has been much discussed, and it's not just in terms of Christians. Um, it's been much debated um, within science, philosophy, different religions. They all have different view. Um, we see this in the movies, whether it's the day after tomorrow and the, the world's going to end with a, a, ice, a return to the ice age, or it's, um, it's aliens in an Independence Day, or apocalypse now, or the end of the world is something that as humans, as humanity, we are somewhat transfixed with. Um, some are maybe preoccupied, even in the church, to the point where they will endeavor to try and set dates. Um, and you know what, even in science, uh, there was a, that Leonardo DiCaprio film that came out. What was it called again? Um, no, no, no. Don't look up, don't look up, don't look up. Don't look up. No, the, the, that, the other one, that's, that's the other one. This, don't look up. And there was this threat of the world basically coming to the end um, by reason of a collision with a massive meteorite. Left, no, that, that one with Leo is don't look up. Left behind is the Christian version of the end of the world, which was a whole series of them. And I think they had two films, but they had about 10 books. I read them all. Gripping. Because when you start to unpack this, this concept of the end of the world, it's hard not to be intrigued. And while science might suggest, oh, you know, it's going to be due to uh, a famine, or it's going to be due to global warming and the temperatures, um, you know, over, overcoming us, the Bible makes it clear that there is going to be an end of the world and God is in control of it. And the interesting thing I found when I was looking at this is that you don't really see much clarity in other religions as it relates to the end of the world. Um, in, in Eastern religions, such as Hinduism, they have this sense that actually the world is going to kind of just recycle, reincarnate, and come back round and... So there is going to be no end in their view. Um, whereas in other religions, whether it's Buddhism or even in Islam, there is a sense of an end, a Messiah-type figure. In um, Buddhism, it's Buddha's going to come. Um, in Islam, interestingly, it is Isa who is going to come, which is the Arabic name for Jesus. That's free material. You can look into that for yourself. But there's this sense that there's going to be a savior figure who comes. And it's clear that that idea is borrowed from scripture. Because they've got nowhere else that they got that from. There's nowhere else that they got that from. And apart from those kind of few 
um, general senses of how religions look at the end of the world, that's pretty much it. And so we see that actually, as those who are, who are given to the word of God, we, have, we are blessed with, with a, a guidebook to the end of the world. We have, a, we have the handbook on the subject. But that doesn't mean it's easy to understand. <laughs> and that's why it's taken us three weeks to go through this one chapter. We're in Luke chapter 21. And in this chapter, Jesus is talking about the end of the world. And yet we see that in his conversation about it, and Pastor Rob really kind of broke this down for us nicely last week, it's viewed as a progressive experience, a progressive experience. And so as we turn to our text, we are um, going to be in verses 29 to 38, so do turn there if you're able to. Um, we see Jesus challenging us to be aware, to be aware that the end is coming and to recognize it when it comes. And so I'm going to do a, a, a little bit of signposting as we go through the text because even though we're looking at 10 verses today, we can't look at these 10 verses without considering it in the light of the verses that have been. And at least a third of us haven't been here. So on that level, uh, I realize that I've got a duty to help anchor us in what's already been said in the chapter. So the first signpost, as we look at the end of the world in this chapter, we see that Jesus in this moment is um, addressing two things. We've got two sections. Verses 29 to 33 is the lesson. He's giving us a lesson. And in verses 34 to 38, it's our response to the lesson. How should we respond to the lesson that we're being given? So um, I'll read the text and then pray. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day 
he was teaching them in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Um, just like anyone else, we want to know what's going on when it comes to the end of the world. And we thank you that you have given us the bringing and you've revealed to us what your plan is. I pray that by your spirit, you will give us a better understanding of what your plan is so that we are able to learn the lesson that you're wanting to teach us and respond accordingly. And so give us ears to hear what you would say to us by your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus is here closing the chapter as we have it. <clears throat> He's giving the lesson and the application of the lesson. And the reality is that when it comes to the, the, the matter of the end of the world, there's at least one thing that we would really love to know. My question to you is, what would you do with your life if you knew the date of the end of the world? If you knew the date, let's say it was 2045. No, no, let me bring it a little bit closer, just, just to make it a bit... <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's, let's say, let's say, uh, what are we in now? 24, six years, 2030, yeah? 2030, the 7th of April. Has to be a seven, right? In there. <laughs> and that was the date that we knew the world was going to end. And this is the concept of the film. It's no spoiler, because they tell you from the beginning, um, don't look up. You know the date of the end of the world. And... He's, he's running around trying to convince people. But what would you do if you knew the world was going to end on the 7th of April, 2030? Just six years' time. Six years' time. Some of you are like, you know what? I would take out some loans. <laughs> some mortgages. <laughs> and I would just be nice. <laughs> And then do what Cain said, jump on some jets and just jet set and live life. You see, the reality is that if we knew, it would make a real difference to us if we knew the date. Now, at the end of this uh, talk, I'm going to share with you where Jesus tells us when the end of the world is going to take place. Virtual's looking, looking at me like, why? We, we, didn't, we weren't expecting this. We didn't see this in the text. Listen. Someone said, heresy. You guys are reaching for your stones right now. You can't find stone. Get a, get a good tin drink. That could do some good... <laughs> But I'm serious. Jesus, with his own words, tells us 
when the end of the world is going to take place. And actually, in these verses, he basically kind of gives the indication that we should be aware of that. So, having just read the text, let me give you the TLDR summary of what Jesus is saying. So, whole chapter, too long, didn't read it. What's the summary? Get to the point. Basically, in the first section, the lesson is, you will see the signs of the seasons. You will see the signs of the seasons. That's the lesson. You will see the signs of the seasons. And the next section is, so pay attention. Pay attention, pray, read, and fellowship. That's the summary. Now, obviously, in saying that, there's a level at which there's a question that we are still wanting to know. Even if we're not going to get the date, Jesus is saying you will see the signs and you must pay attention. And so right now, if you're like me, you're thinking, so hold on a second. What are the signs? If I'm going to see them and I need to pay attention, what am I looking for? Am I lying? And the reality is that Jesus just went through the whole chapter and, and talked about the signs. And so really... I could just say to you, well, just go back and read chapter 21 and you'll be fine. And let's just um, pray and call it a day. We're trying to get shorter sermons out here. And so... <laughs> but there's two things that's worth clarifying that's going to help us to understand the signs that we're looking for and looking at. The first thing is prophetic cycles, prophetic cycles. And so, one of the questions that we wrestled with last week with Pastor Rob as he shared was, okay, when Jesus says this is going to happen and you will see it, is the you, us, or the people he was talking to? Because if they saw it, then does that mean we're not going to see it? Or if they haven't seen it, does that mean we're going to see it? In Matthew 24, in the um, parallel passage to this, where Matthew is recounting um, the, the same issue, we see these verses. Uh, Matthew 24, 4 to 8. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but what? But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these 
are but the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains. And so all of the signs that Jesus is talking about, he is likening them to birth pains. One of the things we understand about end-time prophecy is that end-time prophecy is fulfilled in repeated stages. It's fulfilled repeatedly in stages, like the contractions of an expectant mother. Now, I have it on good authority, because <laughs> I've, been, I've, I've, I've been watching one born every, was it every minute? Uh, no, no, I haven't been watching that, actually. <laughs> Trust me. I don't, I, don't have the stub, I don't have the stomach for it. But we know that labor pains, i.e. contractions, are very powerful occurrences in the experience of a, a, a mother-to-be. And they prepare mum to, to give birth to that child. And fundamentally, those contractions, you know, you kind of get the Braxton Hicks, and it's like, oh, is that it? Are we ready to go? Oh, no, no, not yet, not yet. And then you have the first contraction, and it's like, okay, we need to get to the... No, 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 they said, don't go yet. You have to wait until you're X amount. And they're, they're how many minutes apart? And... So the expectation is that there's going to be a series of these contractions where it's fundamentally the muscles contracting, dilating the cervix, preparing it to, to present the child. But with these contractions, we understand that what happens? They get more frequent and they get stronger with frequency. They get stronger with frequency. And so you might have, I don't know, contraction. You don't have another one for the rest of the day. And then you're getting contractions that are down to like 12 minutes apart. And then they're coming down to seven minutes apart. And I don't know, what point is it that you're supposed to actually get in the, the cab or the ambulance and actually get? It depends on whether it's your first or not. All right, so there's, there's all these. But you know there's a point when they're at a certain time, when they're at a certain frequency, you need to get moving because things are imminent. Yeah? And so you need to get the go bag. Yeah. And so at that point, you need to go and, and prepare for the birth. In this, we see a sense that Jesus is saying, look, you know, birth pains have been the same throughout the, the centuries. Let's not think that because we got, you know, modern medicine and so on, contractions look different for women than they ever have. They had the same thing. Contractions that were, had a certain level of frequency and became more and more intense as it got nearer to delivery. And so as we see the signs in that way, recognize that actually these signs are repeated like birth pains. And as they're repeated, they become more frequent and more intense. We're then able to say, okay, we get an understanding of the season that we're in. 
just as the mother recognizes when it's the season for delivery. Yeah. And so when we think about Luke 21, we see Jesus outline three levels, if you like, of, of three categories um, of contraction timing. The destruction of the temple in verses 1 to 19, the destruction of Jerusalem in 20 to 24, and the destruction of the world in verses 25 to 28, where he gives a full view in verses 10 and 11. And there are characteristics that are unique to each of those stages, but then also some that are going to be actually common within those stages. Let's have a quick look at those. Let me find my text. In um, verse 21, in verse 5, we see Jesus identify the location in focus as the temple. And in orange, you'll see a highlight of these things. This word, these things, is used seven times within the chapter. And it refers to the signs that are to be looked for. And so here we see verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another. And so they're sitting in the temple, they've been admiring the temple, they've watched the widow dropping mites, etc. They're in the temple vicinity, and as Jesus makes reference to the temple, he says to them, these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another. And so we see the destruction of the temple clearly communicated. In verse 8, many will come in my name. And so he talks about false messiahs. He then mentions in verse 9, and when you hear of wars and tumults or troubles, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place. But what? We want to know when the end is, right? But the end will not be at once. So those things are going to happen. There's going to be wars and troubles. Those things are going to happen, but the end will not be at once. It's progressive. It's not all going to happen all at once. It's going to be like birth pains. You're going to get expressions and pauses and expressions and pauses with greater intensity and greater frequency. And then in verse 10... He gives a foreview. Nation will rise against nation. So this isn't just in the context of the temple and Jerusalem and Israel. He says nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And so that's a sense of um, ethnicities, cultures, infighting, um, civil wars happening, as well as 
national conflict, international conflict. Both types of uh, trouble, fighting, war is referenced in that statement there. Jesus talks about earthquakes and famines. Now remember, I'm, I'm highlighting the signs. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And so here again, we see this is a foreview of the end. Jesus said, the end is not yet. Here's some signs of the end. But then in verse 12, but before all this. Notice. They will lay hands on you and persecute you. And his pronoun then turns to the to the disciples he's talking to. Before all of those big things happen, you're going to catch heat. You're going to get persecuted. And then he goes on for the next few verses to um, articulate the persecution. And then we get to verse 20. And he says, when you see, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, again, speaking to the disciples, and as Pastor Rob shared, that happened. They, within a generation, they saw it. AD 70, Jesus is speaking to them, AD 33. 40 years approximately. And it happened. And each one of them could have lived to see it with their very own eyes. But then in verse 23, it says, For there will be great distress upon the earth, and wrath against who? This people. And so whilst that was true in its time, the Roman Empire were going around the world wreaking havoc, and it was them that came and brought wrath against the Jews. We also recognize that that has a more universal... So this, this is a, a universal principle we see here as well. But then, as he turns his attention to the conclude, concluding of Jerusalem, if you like, or the sacking of Jerusalem as it happened, he then goes beyond that. And he talks about the moment when the end will come. And there will be signs in sun and moon, verse 25, and stars, and on the earth distress of nations. In perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see, notice, at that point when all of those things happen, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So you had the temple in view, you had Jerusalem in view, now you have the globe in view, the whole world, the end of the world. Now, my personal conviction is, those characteristics that Jesus speaks of here, in terms of signs in the sun and moon and stars, they, they may have metaphoric um, uh, interpretation or understanding, but then with any metaphor, it's trying to use one picture to describe another, right? And so, what is the metaphor trying to describe? Something's going to happen. And in that, 
I believe that's going to be in the actual moment of Christ's coming. That's my own conviction. And it's, you know, put it to the test. But this, the coming of the Lord is going to be so cataclysmic. Every eye will behold him. Every eye shall see him. It's going to be, every news feed is going to pop off. Emergency systems in every nation is going to be, and there's going to be signs, in, and what's going on? The moon, like, and I don't know, and the sun, and what, and then, and, Trumpet sound, rider on a white horse, and he's here. And so there will be a build-up to his appearance in the moment, which I guess we would expect that, right? When Jesus stood at the beginning of Acts with his disciples, and he went up into heaven, the angel said, why are you standing here gazing like this? And then the angel said, in the same way that you have seen him go, he will return. You notice he said, in the same way. And they watched him just... <laughs> he didn't just disappear, vanish. He ascended. And when he comes, he's going to descend with a host, an army of hosts on horses and trumpet fanfares and the earth just trembling at, at his appearance. Of course, people's hearts are going to be fainting. People losing their minds. Anxiety through the roof. Apps start blinking and screaming because you can't manage, you can't take it. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. So fundamentally, when we consider what are the signs, we see in the chapter uh, uh, an outline of a variety of signs, some of which have happened. The first audience of the hearers, Taiwo, uh, our resident English teacher, said to me, you know, this, we, we teach our students this when we do Shakespeare. You have the, um, what is it, the, the context of production and the context of reception. And basically it means the people who heard it first in its original setting, and then in the case of the scriptures, the people who read it later as we are. And so things have happened since Jesus said that, but because of prophetic cycles, we understand that we're going to see expressions of those things happen again and worse still. And so this is why people think about Gaza. I don't mean Mavado. And they're like, is this it? And they were saying the same in the Six-Day War when Israel was surrounded by... You know, one of the things I found really interesting about the whole Gaza situation is the fact that Israel were deemed untouchable. They had this iron dome or uh, something like that they called it, which was supposed to be this early warning defense system that would protect them against any attacks of, like they've experienced before. And yet we see that 
even with all of their advanced technology, and believe it or not, Israel is one of, one of the most technologically advanced nations in the world. Actually, they're vulnerable. They can be touched. And so, we see that these signs are playing out and are playing out again and will play out again until that moment when the Lord comes. And so there's a sense in which we would say, oh, so does that mean that we're going to be the generation to see the coming of the Lord? We may do. The early Christians believed that to the extent that in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul had to write to the church and say, look, let me just clear up this, um, this, this um, fake news that's going around, this misinformation that Jesus has already come. And he says, no, 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 no. The trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with him. Don't Look, things have happened that make it look like it's already happened. But no, 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 no. When it happens, those who are his will know because we will be caught up with him. So you don't have to fret about that. And so within each generation, there are expressions of these signs. And what we don't know is which generation is it going to be that sees the Lord? But what we do know is, as Jesus said here, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. So that was true for the hearers that sat with Jesus. A generation never passed 40 years before they saw the temple and Jerusalem Desolated. And again, for me, this um, causes me to have confidence that the, true, the same will be true when the, the, the final coming of the Lord takes place. That albeit progressive, it's not going to be a long thing. Because as those final signs begin to unfold, that's it, we're going to know. And so there's a sense in which people say, oh, which generation is it speaking about? Is it speaking about that generation, AD 70, and that's the end of it? They've seen it and it's happened now? Or are, are they talking about the generation of his coming when he... Uh, uh, both, both and. Because God's the master multitasker. He does this. Like, that's light work for the Lord. I make it apply to all of you. So, Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And when we look at the other prophetic texts that talk about the coming of the Lord, we see that sense of even the cosmos fleeing from his appearing. 
like planets and stars going out of orbit, going out of sync at his coming. Such is the power of the Lord. And so what should our response be to all of this? Pay attention. But what I find is interesting, I mean, in the first instance, we'd read that and say, pay attention to the signs. Pay attention, like, stay, literally. It says, verse um, 36, stay awake at all times. Like, talk about being woke. But this is end times woke. Gospel focused woke. Like, stay awake at all times. Sometimes we, f- we feel like we find ourselves in that place, but we know it's not healthy, literally, in a physical sense. But that underlines the emphasis. Like, we're peop- we need sleep, right? And yet it says stay awake at all times. It's that constant state of readiness, that constant state of awareness and alert. So there is a sense in which we're to be alert to the signs of the seasons. But in the first instance, the paying attention is to ourselves. Verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation. That's excessive self-indulgence and drunkenness and the cares of this life. I mean, this says so much. One of the things it says is there's an anticipation that as the readers read this and don't see it happening in their lifetime, they don't see it quickly happening immediately, can become discouraged. I thought the, 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 the Bible's telling us that Jesus is coming back and that he's going to be back soon. Everybody's been saying soon. How long is the Lord soon though? And life just seems like it's getting harder and the world's getting worse. You know, maybe he's not coming, you know. Let me just take care of myself. It's just YOLO. You only live once. Do you go out there, live life, indulge yourself, take out your mortgages. Jump on your jets. Because that's the inclination, right? Or there's that sense of distraction. If we're not discouraged, we're distracted by the cares of life. Thinking like, well, this is what we're here for. If, if, if he's not come back yet, then maybe this is more important than that. You know, where we are is more important than where we're going. Where we, what, what I have to do with my life is more important than other people being saved because, uh, you know what, maybe they will, maybe they won't. They got time. The Lord's on the long thing, isn't it? Huh. But look, the Lord says, watch, lest your hearts be weighed down and that day come upon you suddenly. Like a trap. 
Uh, whoop, yeah. Well, you fell for it. Hmm? For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the, of the whole earth. It's going to happen. And when it happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna to touch everyone. Everyone's going to be affected. So be alert. Don't be distracted. Don't be um, uh, self-indulgent. Be awake, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. And that strength doesn't come from our own good works of, oh, you know what, I know the Lord's coming, so I better be busy, because if I'm not busy, then I won't go with him when he comes. No, the strength comes from relationship with God by reason of his Holy Spirit, who is the strengthener. Jesus said, I will go and send you my spirit, and he will give you strength. He's the the paraclete, the empowerer, the strengthener. And as we commune with the Lord by the presence of his spirit, we are strengthened. And as he continues to preserve us, to keep us, until the coming of the Lord, we know that when the Lord comes, ready to pour out his anger, white hot anger on this world, we won't be experiencing that. Romans 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, God has not appointed his people to experience wrath, to experience his anger. It would be a contradiction Because Isaiah 53 tells us that God poured out his anger for our sin upon Christ. That's that's done. And we know that that satisfied God and his, his, his anger was spent righteously and he was satisfied with that because he raised Jesus from the dead. For our justification... So, the strength that we're to seek is from the presence of God's Spirit as we commune with the Lord. And then this is what we see depicted in the the final section there. It says, every day he was teaching in the temple. Talk about multiple services. And at night he was resting in in Mount Olives. And yet early in the morning, notice, all the people, all the people came to him, drawing near to the Lord. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be watching and praying. We're supposed to be communing with the Lord daily in his word. They came to the temple to hear him. We can still hear him today as we open his word and his spirit illuminates it to our hearts daily. And this is what we're called to. And we're not called to do that as individuals. It says all the people came to him. There was fellowship of the saints. 
And so there is not only an individual, you know, we're not, it's, we don't know that all the people came every morning. They had lives. And so it, it probably literally was multiple services. But the people came together at the points that they were able to. To hear the Lord. And so those, those fundamentals remain the same to this day. And I've, it's definitely an encouragement to me as a, as a leader who sometimes feels like, you know what, I wonder if people are just tired of hearing the same thing over and over. You know, we should be um, attentive to the time in which we live. We should be prayerful people. We should be those who are in the word, communing with the Lord. We are those who should be in fellowship with one another. You see, that, that inclination to self-indulgence that was talked about in the previous verse, it militates against these fundamentals. I've been doing this, and it's just, it's, it's boring. Fellowship is like week in, week out. It's the same old, same old. Oh, reading the Bible, like I read it a couple times already and it's like it's not telling me anything new. Prayer, yeah, I, I make time when I'm in need. Like we should be rebuked if that's where we're at. And we should repent. And we should ask the Lord to change our hearts lest we become complacent. Because we don't want to be caught unawares. And so this is what the Lord is calling us to through these verses. Now, I said to you that I'm going to share a verse that Jesus communicates when he is going to return. And I'm going to come good on my promise. Matthew 24, 14. This is the words of Jesus. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed where? Throughout the whole world. The whole world, those unreached corners of the world. You know, some years back, they identified what was called the 1040 window. So the globe has these um, lines of latitude, and it was line 10 and line 40. And they said that the nations between line 10 and line 40 of the global latitude are nations that are unreached with the gospel. Now, I remember hearing this back in the 80s. Some of those nations are still unreached. At London City Mission, we talk about the fact that there are one in two people in this city that we live in who don't have a Christian friend or family member to introduce them to Jesus. We live in a hyper-diverse community where almost half the population of the city, four million people, don't have someone to introduce them to Jesus that they know as friend or family. All of that needs to be addressed, and then 
You want the time? Then the end will come. Huh? What time is that then? Uh, well, it's, it's like Denzel said, if somebody wants to tell you what time that then is, stone them. <laughs> but we have a reference, and it's beautiful because the reality is that we will never know when that is utterly and completely fulfilled. There is no AI technology that is capable of surveying the whole globe, every profession of faith, every converted heart, and be able to say, okay, well, by the year 2035, no, 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 2036, according to the scriptures held by the Jews and the Christians, Jesus will return because every part of the world will be reached with the... There is no AI that can tell us that. And there never will be. Because it's a spiritual reality. And so there's still an air of mystery. Despite the fact that we know when. Because that is an indicator. And so we should be about, apart from jet setting and running up bills <laughs> that we're going to leave behind and whatnot, more so, more than anything else, we should be about preaching the gospel. We had a wonderful time in Lewisham yesterday. Oh my gosh. Praise be to God. You know, it was, yet again, as we were out there, you know, the Lord is doing something, you know. The Lord is at work in our life and times. We're, 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 we're seeing, listen, we're seeing the, the reverberations of revival. I'm, and I'm not just talking about what we experienced. Like, Ollie, am I lying? Bro, Ollie walked up to me with this guy yesterday and he said, I don't even know how you even introduced him. It was just like, it was almost like, pray for him. <laughs> I can't even remember what you said. But it's like people volunteering themselves. And, and at least, you know, praise God, we get to work in a context where we're hearing testimonies week in and week out. Uh, Mike is not here. Ryland Chapel. They go and do some door knocking. They get turned away. Person turns up at church. Two twos, they're giving their life to the Lord with their friend at the altar. This is the other day. A few weeks later, they're having a baptism. They get baptized. And, and then we're hearing again, uh, in North London, Adam was, you know, Adam Boise, who comes and preaches sometimes, preaching at a church, just introducing LCM. Two people come up and give their life to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying this is an LCM thing. I'm saying that God is at work. God is at work. I'm hearing this more now than I have in recent years. It's been years. There was a time, Rob, Millie, I'm alive. There was a time it felt like people was getting saved every day. Rob used to work in the post office. There was a whole gang that got, came to the Lord in that season. Like you, CCED, Calvary Chapel Dulwich. Uh, you, you can look around London and still see people that are the fruit of that season of revival. It was like, it was wildfire. Bro, tsunami. God has done it before. 
And God will do it again. Because that's one of the characteristic signs of his coming. As the gospel is preached, people will receive, they will respond. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised by this. We should be excited by this. We should be motivated. We should be focused by this. That actually, let's give ourselves to sharing Jesus. And in doing so, you know, people used to say, you know, we've we got to get out and share the gospel because we're helping to bring the end nearer. There's a sense in which that's true if you actually read the verse. Am I lying? That's a reasonable application. And so, I know that I'm not trying to hang about here. I want to go and be with the Lord. And I know that I'm here because I'm meant to be. Otherwise, I would already be with the Lord. Like, why didn't the Lord just rapture you as soon as you gave your life to him? As you prayed that prayer or whatever you've done, just you laid your head on the bed at that night and you just went to be with the Lord. And that was it. There's a reason why we're here, and this is it. Amen. Amen. And I tell you something. If you feel bored as a Christian, I know that tells me one thing. If you feel bored as a Christian, I know that tells me one thing. You don't evangelize. Huh? I said what I said. Yeah? I said what I said. If you are bored as a Christian, you don't evangelize. Because it is the great adventure of the Christian faith. Listen, you ask any of them. I love street preaching more than Sunday service. So let's be about the Lord's business. Let's stand. Because the Lord is coming and he will receive the praise that is due to his name. Amen? Amen. The Lamb will receive the reward of his suffering. And so let's be a part of that. Let's be contributing to that. Let's not just be here surviving, trying to, you know, do what we can to get what we can to can what we get. But let's be about the Lord's will. Let's be about sharing the gospel. Let's be teaching our children that this is what life is about for us as believers. Let's be teaching them not just through instruction or Sunday school, but in how we model that. Not to hot her up, but it was a blessing going out in Lewisham yesterday and being out there with Kian. And it... And the reason I say that is because as we were out there, it was like old times. I look back on days when we was in Brixton, Kian and Chloe with me out there sharing the gospel, God Corner, seeing them running with the little tracks, just handing them out. Kian, uh, no, let me not even ask nothing. <laughs> but I know that the Lord has used that in their lives to ground them, to focus them that they, in turn, would have a healthy connection with the Lord. It's contributed to that. It's not the silver bullet, because children become their own person.
They have their own mind. And there's a point when we have to release them because they need to give account for themselves. They need to be fully persuaded in their own mind. But these are things, prayer, the word, fellowship, outreach, that contribute to giving them every possibility. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are so good that not only would you give us these insights to your coming, but Lord, you would enlist us in your service to participate in the great adventure of declaring your coming. Jesus, you have come. And Lord, you have given yourself and been raised from the dead that we might have life and life more abundantly. And that abundant life isn't to be just spent on ourselves, but enabling us to serve our lives as living sacrifices for you that we might see your kingdom come. And so, Lord, we ask that you would cause us to be watchful, that you would cause us to be alert, prayerful, standing, having done all to stand, in your strength, in your armor, that as we continue in your word, and as we continue in fellowship, we have the expectation, the great expectation, that we will see you again. And our prayer is that it would be soon. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.